This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. When the night gets cold and the lights go out, the sun is gone behind the clouds, and you feel lost, and I'll reach out to guide you home. Welcome to Lighthouse of Hope. I'm your host, Michael Hempseed. I'm so glad you're joining us today. On today's show, we have Dr. Caleb Armstrong from the NMDA Clinic. Dr. Armstrong, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Great. And can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes. Uh, So I'm a psychiatrist um, and I've trained in Australia and New Zealand, um, rurally and in urban places. And now I um, own my own clinic and I work in private practice in Tauranga, and I'm a forensic psychiatrist and a child and adolescent psychiatrist as well. Great. And just um, if some of our listeners aren't clear, um, can you tell us the difference between, say, a psychologist and a psychiatrist, please? Well, there there are lots of differences, but um, basically the confusion comes in because both sets of people have the potential to be treating mental illnesses. Um, and psychiatrists are medical doctors who specialise in treating mental illnesses, and psychologists um, are not working on the uh, biomedical basis of uh, these mental illnesses, but are offering psychotherapy and other types of assessment and treatment for mental illness. So, um, somebody who is who has a serious mental illness may well be uh, seeing both types of therapists. And so one of the medical interventions that you offer is ketamine treatment. We'll come to that a little bit later, but can you just tell us a little bit about um, the history of the treatment of depression? Uh, yes, so really the treatment of depression starts with recognising this as a uh, disease, and I'm sure that you know the, the history kind of depends on what culture you're based in. Um, but melancholy states of being a well-recognised in literature and uh, you know medical literature as well throughout the English-speaking world for a long time. But the actual treatment of depression really started with some biological therapies in the early 20th century, um, and there were a, a variety of things used, but probably the first really effective thing was electroconvulsive therapy. So um, what is now regarded as something that you would only use in extreme treatment-resistant cases, for a while that was the main treatment. Um, Then they started to notice, uh, and and this is a parallel with ketamine treatment as well, they started to notice that people treated for tuberculosis with isoniazid and similar uh, drugs that happen to also be monoamine oxidase inhibitors as well as having their normal antibacterial activity, their depression would start to get better as well as their tuberculosis. Um, and then that led to the whole monoamine hypothesis of depression, uh, which just means that people thought that noradrenaline and serotonin and dopamine were probably quite responsible for causing depression and therefore people started looking for other treatments, discovered the tricyclic antidepressants um, and other 
more specific monoamine oxidase inhibitors. And then later on in the 80s, the SSRIs were discovered. At the same time, you've got the rise of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and other psychotherapies for depression. So there was quite a lot of um, improvement in the range of therapies that was made available um, up to the early 90s. And then it's stagnated a little bit since then when it comes to medications at least until recently with the discovery of ketamine as a potential treatment and one that can be used in so many different ways that it gets confusing as to how best to use it. The delay in onset of treatment response is really just a biological fact because you take an SSRI, it has its effects within hours and that's why people um, go through side effects first thing that happens is side effects, maybe not, but for some people they, they won't have any side effects, but for those who are prone to it, they're going to have their first side effects within hours, but nothing happens to their mood for between two to six weeks, and that's because um, it, it's not a direct result of the mechanism of action of an SSRI drug increasing the availability of serotonin. Things happening well downstream from that, which probably matches um, the brain's ability to make new receptors for uh, whatever uh, neurotransmitter has been increased in uh, availability to the brain. So that takes a while um, and that can be, you know, for some people they don't have that long to wait because they're desperate for one reason or another to get better. Um, but we've had to work with people on the basis that it might be six weeks before you feel significantly better on one of these medications. And that's obviously a very long time if you're in utter misery and you're not having a good time at all. Yeah, well, yes. If you look back on it, if you get better and look back on it and think, well, you know, that was a, a small price to pay, um, you know, I waited six weeks in that state um, and now I'm better. That's fine. Um, the difficulty is when people come, you know, come back in six weeks' time and they are no better, and then there is the decision about whether they should switch to another antidepressant, which again is going to take six weeks to work if, if it does. And then that, you know, that, that's how six weeks become twelve becomes twelve weeks or eighteen weeks or. Um, you know, longer. And so that is the real um, huge problem is for the people who don't even respond within that six weeks. It's long enough to wait, even if you do have a response. But if you don't, it's extremely discouraging. A lot of people do get better with either um, cognitive therapy, with um, SSRIs. But then there are some people that have what we call treatment-resistant depression. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that may look like? Yeah, so treatment-resistant depression, the definitions of this are just basically people who haven't had an adequate response to two different uh, antidepressant drugs or therapies. So some people would say if you failed to respond to an SSRI and CBT, um, which of course can be run together, um, then that's a treatment-resistant form of depression. Um, but most commonly, because a lot of it is in pharmaceutical studies, they're looking for what has the, the drug response been. 
So the definition of treatment-resistant depression is failure to respond to two different uh, antidepressant drugs within this episode of depression. Um, and of course, if, it, if it's a chronic depression, that episode can be years or decades long. So that's what the definition is, but the, what it actually looks like in clinical practice is a bunch of people who have taken a lot of different uh, therapies and, you know, it might be 10 or 12 different medications over the course of their lives and not really responded to any of them, but really not had any benefit from that. So that's kind of common. Um, unfortunately, in in my practice, I, I have a, a bias towards seeing people because I do offer ketamine therapy. So many of the people coming for ketamine therapy they haven't just failed to respond to two different drugs. They've had, um, you know, a lifetime of different uh, therapies that haven't really worked out. We can only imagine, you know, the devastation both for the person, but also their family, their friends, just the total impact this has on someone. In the past, it was thought there wasn't a lot that can be done for some of these people, but now we have well, one option is ketamine. Can you tell us a little bit about ketamine? And yes, so ketamine was... Um, an anaesthetic drug that was really introduced during the Vietnam War. Um, it's frequently used. So I used to be an emergency department doctor, mainly in Australia. And, uh, you know, if people came in with a, a laceration to their face, say a, a child needing sedation, um, you know, you might reach for the ketamine rather than something else because it's gentler. Um, and it doesn't drop people's blood pressure. It can do the opposite. So it can cause people's blood pressure to go up so you have to be very careful about what circumstance you use it in if somebody has had a major trauma or something um, but it's not difficult to use as an anesthetic it produces dissociation so the person can retain some awareness of what's happening um, depending on the dose and then they feel quite um, separated from themselves as they get better um, or recover from the anaesthetic and that can cause a little bit of trouble because within that period you can also have hallucinations or distorted thinking um, or some sort of fear response but it was commonly used in the battlefield um, you know through, well, and, and still is really um, because of the good safety profile compared to a lot of other anaesthetic agents. Then it started to be abused because it's frequently used in veterinary uh, medicine as well. And so there, was, there were veterinary clinics as well as uh, you know, hospitals that carried this drug. And then it's not that difficult to obtain or synthesize either. So in certain countries, it became one of the drugs that was the most abused um, and it's really interesting that there are psychiatrists out there who now use ketamine who have said, you know, their patients were saying, I actually use this to try and feel better from my depression because nothing else works. And they sort of, they looked at the, the damage that it could do as in a, a drug of abuse and said, well, you know, that's never going to be safe. And some of them have later said, 
yeah, I wish I'd, I'd listened better because uh, I would have understood a bit more about the potential for this to be used properly. Then in the late 90s or early 2000s, started to be um, noticed that single infusions of a sub-anesthetic dose, so less of a dose than would be required to produce anesthesia, um, could actually relieve people's depression and people could go, very unwell people could go from being really unwell to feeling quite okay. And then that brought on some research into whether IV infusions of ketamine could be uh, really useful for treating depression. And in the United States in particular, that is a very commonly offered service. Um, so people with treatment-resistant depression can go and get infusions. And of course, this is not particularly convenient. There are some benefits to it. For instance, um, you know, the person isn't going home with ketamine. You have to have a series of infusions. If you respond as they would like you to, then you may be well for several months and then you might need top-up infusion. So just the process of going to a clinic and having this uh, basically given to you intravenously puts the cost up very high automatically, even though the drug itself is quite cheap. In New Zealand and Australia, it's not really feasible to be doing that. People had noticed that this was really useful. And then in Australia... Uh, particularly in Australia, there was a, a doctor who looked into using it orally because it's well known that this drug can be given via different routes. There's a, a, a doctor in Brisbane, Dr. Angelo de Joannis, who started to run a clinic offering people oral ketamine in the form of trochase. A company called Janssen decided that they would have a look at which part of the uh, of ketamine is doing the business here and they thought that it was S-ketamine rather than R-ketamine and um, they thought, well, we can patent that. So citalopram, for instance, citalopram went off patent, so a drug company came along and said, uh, well, we're going to patent S-citalopram for the same indication treatment of depression. So they're allowed to do that. And they decided that S-ketamine should be given as uh, a, a nasal spray. So that's something that's happened. And S-ketamine is available um, in New Zealand and now Australia as well as a treatment for treatment-resistant depression. Um, the problem is that at the moment it's prohibitively expensive. It does have to be given in a medical environment because it does produce a lot of side effects. That's really good that there's actually a recognition by MedSafe, for instance, and the FDA in America that S-ketamine, at least, is uh, effective and safe for treatment of depression. And then we come to what's happening now in New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, um, and Taiwan, which is a treatment study of a slow-release tablet of ketamine, uh, and that is for treatment of depression, but probably um, in the future they will look at treatment-resistant anxiety states and possibly other mental conditions as well. And that's 
aimed at producing an antidepressant response whilst reducing the potential side effects. So you're saying that you know, in the past, you know, SSRIs, and if someone was had treatment-resistant depression, they could spend months or years in a severely depressed state, and then potentially with ketamine, their mood lifts pretty quickly? Yes. Um, so they may experience a rapid lift in their mood, but then the question is always, um, what next? So it's sustaining that response. So getting that response um, is not necessarily that difficult um, and it, it's frequent even in people who have been unwell for years but it's whether or not they can tolerate a high enough dose to actually um, give them a lengthy period of feeling well so in in my own clinic here in Tauranga in MDA which offers oral ketamine trocase which um, so that's like a lozenge it dissolves fairly quickly and you get the onset of some side effects. The side effects wear off and then we're looking at how do you feel the next day. And it's great if people have a response the next day, but they may need to increase that dose. And we have to put in quite a bit of effort in advising people how to do that slowly over a period of several weeks. Um, and that gives you we need to find out what gives you a response that lasts long enough so that you only have to take um, whatever your dose of ketamine is three times a week. Um, the new, the study that I'm also participating in here um, in Tauranga, that is looking at a slow-release tablet that only has to be taken twice a week. So there could be significant benefits of that slow-release tablet over the oral trocase. But it's not an everyday treatment, which is quite good because the, the oral trocase, you can't drive for 10 hours afterwards um, and yet it can interfere with your sleep. So some people want to take it early in the day and it might mean that they're not doing anything else that day. So there's convenience and inconvenience factors here that influence the treatment quite a lot, as well as um, wanting to get a response that lasts for several days so that we can, we're not having people relapse before they take their next dose. Um, that allows their brain time to rewire itself in a non-depressed way. And so some people are able to stop taking ketamine and then remain well for months or years afterwards. So it's, there's potential that this is curing some people um, rather than keeping them changed to the need to take um, medication for the long term. It, it's a very different kettle of fish from using regular antidepressants. And that's why I think it is something that a lot of psychiatrists will say, yeah, that sounds really interesting, but I, I don't know what the best way is to use it, so I'll just steer clear of it. Thank you. Yeah, obviously it's not um, the first line of treatment that you try if someone's a bit feeling a bit down. This is obviously quite advanced. Have you had a success story from your clinic where someone has been depressed for, say, a decade or more, they've taken ketamine and it's changed their life? Um, well, yes. I mean, I could tell you a few stories like that. And quite frankly, I could also tell you a few stories of people who have you know, come along, put in the effort, um, and either not had a response or had side effects which have meant that they couldn't um, really 
take ketamine and so being disappointed once again. So I want to point that out. That, that is um, because ketamine works for 60 or 70% of people um, to produce a response, but is only about 50% effective in terms of maintaining that response into the future. It means that you're dealing with a few people who are uh, quite disappointed. But there have been some people who, there was actually a, a mother-daughter pair, um, and even though the daughter is quite young, she's been unwell with depression for a, for a while. The mother actually went to the United States and had infusions and then um, came back and sought me out because she said, well, what do I do now? Because I'm starting to get depressed again. I can't just fly over to the United States. Um, she really wanted to have IV infusions, but we've managed to get her to have a response to oral ketamine. So when she noticed that her daughter um, was developing an illness that was quite similar to hers, she said, look, you've tried a couple of treatments. Maybe you should try oral ketamine. Um, and she actually ended up responding to quite a low dose, so 100 milligrams. She said that, you know, this has been quite revolutionary for her and she thinks she's not going to have to use it beyond about six months. So that's, you know, we'll see whether that's true for her. Um, but it's been quite a, a transformation. And then there was another young woman as well who had been unwell since her high school days with a very nasty, um, difficult-to-treat depression ended up taking a lot of different medications um, and, you know, combinations of three or four uh, drugs and then tried ketamine and she said some of these other medications have produced improvement but um, now on ketamine I feel like a human being again. And that was really interesting because I thought, wow, I, I didn't know that you didn't even feel like a human being. Um, because she was attending her tertiary studies and um, doing quite a lot to try and keep her mood at a decent level. Um, but she stopped feeling like she needed to struggle just to stay afloat and she could start enjoying some of these things. So that, I think, is one of the most profound changes. But you can also see it in the person, and this is quite a frequent thing that I see in my work, is when somebody responds, um, you can actually visibly see that difference in their their affect, their emotional emotional expression, that they become able to express positive emotions, and you can see it in their face and in the way that they move. Quite a quite a transformation, and that in itself is um, it's very gratifying. But actually, for the person who has been unwell for a long time, they often struggle with feeling different so even though it's good it's quite a, a stark difference and it makes them reflect you know what have I been doing with my life um, and they sort of forget how unwell they were and start going well I was sitting on the couch for 10 years and I should have been doing this and that so there can be a lot of self-reproach um, and that is something that we have to deal with quite a lot when there's a good response. A couple of points there. Um, 
I think we don't fully understand just how miserable people can be with depression, how alien-like they can feel, um, and yet some of these people can still function really well. But yes, I certainly think coming out of something like this can also be a real challenge for some people. So maybe some psychotherapy is needed there. And finally, yes, um, how do people contact NMDA clinic? Uh, yes, so the, it's easy enough to contact us. So there, there's a, a website, um, www.nmda.nz, um, and that sort of sets out something about the treatment that we offer uh, and it's also within the specialist referral system that most GPs use so um, if people want to be considered for treatment the first step really is to get a referral from your GP um, who will then send through some information about the patient and we can contact them um, and then we assess them to make sure because we have to make sure that they're not uh, also, you know, using medications that don't work well with ketamine, um, and that it's going to be safe, that they don't have medical contraindications, um, and also some people will prefer to do some, something else. So I might say, well, you could do ketamine, or you, you know, I noticed that you haven't ever done an antidepressant combination or augmentation with uh, lamotrigine or something like that. And they may actually prefer to do that. So there are some other things that we can offer if the patient prefers. Once we have done our assessment, we book them in for titration, which is giving them their first dose. And that has to be done in clinic because we have to see whether there's um, any response in terms of mood, but also how do they cope with side effects. And, you know, you want to have met the person before you advise them on what they should be doing with um, their ketamine dose. Um, and we have to understand their social circumstances as well. Is there somebody who can supervise them if they have strong side effects? But the first step for people wanting to be seen for ketamine therapy is to contact their GP and to get referred to a ketamine psychiatrist. Um, and, you know, I, I think that I'm the only one in the North Island currently offering treatment. In the South Island, if you live in the southern DHB catchment, um, you could possibly be accepted into the clinic there. Um, Professor Paul Blue is still running a clinic. I think it's um, intramuscular. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your work and for this interview. Um, I mean, treatment-resistant depression has a terrible impact on so many people, so thank you for offering this. No worries. It's um, truly a pleasure to be able to offer it and to see at least some people get better. Um, and it's also very exciting participating in the research trial on the slow-release tablet, which I think might help us to minimise side effects and make it more available and more suitable for a range of people. Great, thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, Michael. When the night gets cold and the lights go out, the sun is gone behind the clouds, and you feel lost, and I'll reach out to guide you home.